for how often I experience fear, the majority of people were at 17%. The healthy range was 15 and my range is two. So my, you know, my lovely executive coach is like, now there's some good and some bad to this, <laughs> but because of all the transition and, you know, and how I was raised and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it helps me be very adaptive that I didn't have this like fear emotion very often, yeah. but now as an adult, I still don't like connect with that emotion as much. So decisions that I should be thinking longer about or looking at the negative consequences more, I, I don't have that like natural trigger in my brain. We are, we are at home. Oh, I was going to go with R. Okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll keep practicing okay. it. This Hi. is At Home, everybody, <laughs> with Linda and Drew Scott, a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers about what makes us feel more at home. And what makes me feel more at home is when you rock it. When I rock your world? Wait, that's, uh, that sounded intense. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to At Home. <laughs> Guess who's getting excited for some days off? Not me. What? Ew, I just want to work all the time. Yeah, right. 10 days off, no filming. Off, off? Well, we're, we're still Not posting off, episodes off. of the podcast, but they were pre-recorded. Uh, we are going to be actually just relaxing, enjoying each other's company. I'm excited. What are you excited about? Lynn and I have been talking about nature. We just want to kind of get away... We want to just relax a little bit and enjoy nature. Get away where? I want to just go into the woods somewhere. Linda wants to go into a cabin in the woods. And you just want to go in the woods? So no, I'll be in the cabin. And yeah, you'll just I'll be-, be walking around in nature. What I'm actually excited about is... Uh, and then there are going to be like sightings of Bigfoot. I am Bigfoot. Coincidentally. Coincidentally. <laughs> I, that means... So should I not shave my back for a few days? Yeah, just leave it. I'll okay. braid it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> hey, looks like Bigfoot's got a nice braid. Um, I actually want to take some nice pics. I think uh, this is Linda and I have been challenging each other, or we, we've said we're going to challenge each other to taking some photos in nature and seeing what we can come up with. I love doing that because it actually makes me slow down. And look for the beautiful moments. And appreciate them. Because I, f- I find that when we're taking photos just on our phones, it's just like snap, snap, snap. And then I have like 100,000 photos on my phone and I don't remember any of them. And you know me, I actually don't like taking my camera out to take photos or my phone to take photos. I want to just be there and you know experience what we're experiencing. But this is different. The experience will be slowing down in nature and finding some beauty. What if they're all selfies? I'll just take a whole bunch of selfies. Well, you're a natural beauty. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have another natural beauty that we're going to be talking to today. Oh, that's a good segue. See, I try. Mina <laughs> is one of our HGTV fam. She is amazing. She's like a sister to us. Co-founder and owner of Two Chicks and a Hammer. Star of HGTV's show Good Bones. She's a fellow real estate agent and the author of Built Together. I love great children's books. And if you haven't read this with your kids, it's worth getting. It's adorable. Or your friends. And your friends, yeah. It's such a great book and it celebrates diversity and acceptance and really showcases families of all shapes and sizes. I, I love that. Well, why don't we stop talking about it and we will hop right in with our friend Mina Starziak. Mina! Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. 
Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. You're an amazing parent. You've worked with family. You're a workaholic. We want to learn how you're balancing life because you're always the most fun. Whenever we see you, the energy that we feel from you is always so amazing. So we want to get into the wonders of what makes yeah. Mina who Mina is. But, but could we start like way back? Like tell us yeah. about your childhood, how you grew up, what family was like. I mean, you guys, you have my book there. So it's like a very cursory glance at, I mean, the reason I did the book was because my family is so all over the place. It's yours, mine, ours. My parents divorced when I was three, very contentiously. Like we all go on family vacation now, but that took till I was about 20. So I had my brothers that are a year older and a year younger from my parents. And then my dad and mom have both been married four times altogether. So I've had step-siblings that married in and married out. And I have half-siblings. So it was always... I think like when I started doing TV, it was weird that TV wasn't weird. But Mm. I was just so used to going with the flow. Like, oh, there's a new sibling for a while kind of thing. (laughs) That it's just gotten very, very comfortable with change and unknown. What was it like for you? So like you said, you had an influx of siblings at different points in your life. So tell us about the dynamic between your siblings. um, And did that help shape your personality and who you are and the drive that you have? I mean, I think there's the stereotypes of, you know, first, middle and, 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 and youngest. And because we all kind of were in chunks, I probably kind of fit that middle child paradigm for the most part. But what I think was not necessarily like the middle child thing was my brother's both very, very smart, don't mean this negatively against them, but they didn't really ever have jobs. And we went to public elementary, middle school, and then went to a private high school. And I got a job as as soon as I... Actually, it was before I could drive. My first boyfriend's mom owned a European body wrap salon where you like wrap them in the ace wrap soaked in... Yeah. Mm. So I was, you know, 15 wrapping... Women in thongs <laughs> at my boyfriend's mom's place of business. We've all done that. Uh, We've all been there. <laughs> all been there. But so I think my work ethic, I developed very young. And although, you know, my, my dad's a doctor, my mom's an attorney, both amazing, amazing work ethics. Mine was kind of for a different reason um, because I think finances in my family, like you get good grades, nothing else matters. And, you know, we got paid for our grades. So the financial part of it was kind of like a control mechanism in our family. So I very much wanted the freedom from that. So mm-hmm. I started working very early. It definitely took the money for my good grades still. <laughs> <laughs> so you find the financial side of it was still a draw for you, because, but you wanted to make it independently. You didn't want to be uh, sort of like stuck to your parents' will and what they're willing to pay you or incentivize you. You wanted to make your own decisions. Yeah, I mean, even my husband were talking the other day because my younger brother is getting married 
and he's having some, you know, back and forth with my dad about guests at the wedding. And I was like, well, dad's giving him money. Dad gets to say what guests he wants added. And you know, my husband's from a very different style family, but it's those kind of things like, okay, if you accept the money, then you accept the opinion and thoughts along with the money. So for oh, the most part, I don't mind the opinions and thoughts, but I like to have the option to not have to listen to them. So mm-hmm. see, I, I sort of disagree with that on my, so we, you know, we didn't uh, take any money from our parents for the wedding and stuff like that. We wanted to handle it on our own. And, um, but my whole thing is, well, the same way I think with other people's wedding, when you have like parents or siblings that are giving so much input, I'm like, it's not your wedding. You have no yeah. say. If you wanted to gift some money for a wedding, great, but you still have no say. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I No, and that's very much my husband's thought process. Yeah. It's just, I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's reasonable. But in our family, that's just not how it's going to work. Okay, <laughs> You just said, you just say to your parents, on your fifth and sixth weddings, you just do it your way. On my wedding and my one and only, I'll do it my way. <laughs> so uh, my dad's third wedding, um, it's Tad, my brother, who's on the show with me, and my sister, Jessica, who has my niece that we uh, fostered for a year. That's their mom. And <laughs> I don't remember where the wedding was, but my mom crashed it, which I'm sure after meeting her a handful of times, is not the least bit shocking at all. No, not at all, yeah. So looking back to, to childhood, that the dynamic between you and your parents, what mm-hmm. were their personalities? And for anybody who hasn't seen your shows, I mean, your mom is very outgoing, very outspoken, <laughs> and she loves to shock people. Um, I just have so many memories of how she just loves to do what nobody expects, and she loves to shock. Was it the same growing up? Well, and... I mean, I'm super, super open about everything. A lot of things I don't like necessarily volunteer unless people ask because we all have our own version of our our shit. But um, when my mom and dad got divorced, um, her second husband was not a pleasant man. Um, He, you know, had uh, tons of his own issues. And I think really what she did was took my dad and went like as far opposite as she could from him and really needed to land somewhere in the middle. And they didn't. I didn't have a healthy relationship with him. So when, God, I don't even remember what age I was. I was pretty young, but I stopped going on visitation. Like I didn't see her for a while mm. because I t- took issue with her husband. I was probably 10-ish. Mm. Oh, wow. So that was the first of, you know, a, a period of kind of like ups and downs in our relationships. But my brothers, you know, they're boys. It's just, it's different. But they, you know, they always kept going. So I think that was um, a big difference between us and like adjustment um, at a very young age. Because although my mom is one of the smarter people I know, um, you know, she's a lawyer. She was just, had just finished law school at that time. And I think was kind of trying to find herself maybe. I mean, she was 25 when she had me. So fairly young. Um, but had been with my dad for a while before that from 21. So didn't really, hadn't like figured her own self out. And I think that's mm. what she did with her second husband. And then maybe even a little with a third. So um, we, you know, we weren't super close. Um, and she is, it was a, a very different version of herself than she is today where mm. she really like, I think she knows herself more than she did then. Mm. Yeah. So did that pattern in that relationship between the two of you, did that continue over the years? And if that's the case, how did it grow from that to working together and owning a business together? 
like I, I ended up going again. She you know, eventually divorced her second husband, Randy, which is my sister's dad. Um, that's the only other kid my mom had other than with my dad um, and married a really nice gentleman. He was a judge, very stable. And that was kind of her like stabilizing time. So when my sister was raised, my mom was packing lunches and dinner was on the table and, you know, it was, was a different, different mom experience. But even in middle school and into high school, when my brothers lived with my mom more, I always lived with my dad. So close, but not, you know, more kind of like friends and you know, I'd have a party and get in trouble. And, you know, my mom would come pick my friends and me up and talk to the cops, whatever. I don't know. Like what. um, so she was kind of like, you know, the fun fair in high school, but my dad um, took a job out of state uh, towards the very, very end of my junior year in high school. And I'd been you know, working since I was a freshman and kind of very, fairly self-sufficient um, as it was. And I wasn't going to go to Kentucky. And, you know, my stepmom was back every other weekend and my very old albeit a uh, grandmother lived with us. So she was there, but kind of not really there. Um, mm. And when he moved, my mom tried to get custody of me because she didn't think it was the best mm. decision-making process, which at the time probably did not see it. I'm sure what she thought she was doing was you know, the, the best thing. Um, but because of where our relationship was, I kind of felt like, you know, you've not really been a mom. Like I'm about to turn 18 you're going to try to try to mom me now. And she actually took him to, to court to fight for custody of her 17 year old daughter. And then I turned 18 and pretty much was like, peace, what mm. you can do about it. Did and that's you? when we like actually didn't talk for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, stayed at my dad's house, you know, graduated with like a three, nine, got into college. We all survived. It's great. Yeah. My brother graduated with a four two. So wow. I say three nine, but in my family, like I'm literally the dumb one and I'm not dumb. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very high achievers, like all yeah. weighted classes. You know, my older brother's an engineer and my younger brother's a doctor. So Oh wow. Um, Stepping away from academics though, um, I mean, what you do now with building and design, what was that transition for you? Who gave you that inspiration to move into that side of your life? No one really. I mean, I think uh, when I was graduating from IU, I was very aimless. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't want, you know, a ugly pants suit to sit in a cubicle. Um, so I, you know, I waited tables all through college and kind of would usually just drive home and wait on the weekends. So I still had that um, serving job, and I decided I was going to do that and buy a house. And mom and I were on uh, speaking terms again by then we were close. And so she co-signed for the house I bought. And just because I didn't have even enough money with the construction loan, we ended up doing a lot of ourselves. So not necessarily the the inspiration to do it. The inspiration was like maybe a lack of other things I didn't want to do more, but she was definitely, um, you know, my, my sidekick in that hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And it, because it wasn't, traditional path that my dad and his dad and my brothers had both taken. God, I think it was like season three. We did, we renovated my dad's kitchen and either season two or season three, I can't remember which. And after having to be part of that, it wasn't until then, like I've had an international TV show for three seasons. And then once he's in it, he's like, Oh, okay. 
yeah, I get it. Like this is this is a real job. Oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's so funny. I feel like a lot of parents don't get yeah. what their kids do though. But I, I do want to go back to because we're now talking about season three, but just because I think a lot of people can learn a lot from how you go from saying peace out to your mom at 18 to 20, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then and then becoming close again and working together. Of course, there yeah. are probably still ups and downs throughout the, the business and family, but like you got to a point where you could run a full business together. Yeah. When I was like towards the end of my freshman year, so we didn't really talk from mid junior year in high school until the end of towards the end of my freshman year and you know as every situation has there's her version my version and somewhere in the middle is probably the truth as far as like i recalled it i was just so like mad at her for so long for so many things and at whatever you know growth stage i was in probably like my first of hundreds i just was like i don't want to be mad anymore it's tiring mm-hmm. and just kind of reached out and because we hadn't really ever had like a typical mom-daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. We just kind of dove into this friendship that was too far on the other end. Like, I mean, super close. And me, her, and my sister, who's eight years younger than me, were kind of like the three musketeers. Mm-hmm. And we did everything together. And, you know, whether she had a husband at the time or not, or I had a boyfriend at the time or the not, like it was still just kind of the three of us were best buds and did socialize together and mom and I renovated the house together and she still was practicing law. So it wasn't really ever like both of us were full-time doing the house business because mm. we weren't making any money yet. We couldn't really do it until, you know, we, we were doing a house or two a year and she was private practice by then. And I do not, I do not say this jokingly because it sounds just made up, but like she would, deal with her criminal defense clients and they would literally pay her in like a brown bag of cash. Um, and then we would go buy some supplies and like do some more of the project. And I would wait tables and, you know, get my couple hundred bucks and we would, we would do some more work. And that's just kind of how it puttered along for a while until. So you built um, your early houses on uh, mob criminal money. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. We've, got, <laughs> we've got some great, great early stories from my first house renovation. Cause it was, in like transitionals doesn't even begin. Like it hadn't transitioned. I wasn't even thinking about transitioning. And it was a very rough neighborhood. And the guy across the street was a drug dealer. We were installing floors one day and there was a, a SWAT raid on the house across the street. And they were like, everybody get down. So, you know, mom and I are looking out the windows. Uh, so that was, that was a fun first one. Oh my goodness. Uh, but so we didn't really work together like full time until the show started. Because she had to quit her job and mm-hmm. I quit my job and we were just filming all day, every day. Yeah. So how many houses before, because when you were talking earlier, when you and your mom got into that first place where she helped you with the down payment, I was assuming this was something like, you know, 10 years before the shows or something like that. So how quickly from your very first property that you and your mom invested in to filming the shows? So my very first house was the end of 2007 and we didn't start doing like other properties till I think 2009 probably. Mm. And the pilot was 2014. So mm. in those like five mm. years we did, I think it was 22 before mm. the show. Wow. And did you just learn to do everything as you went? Yeah. I'd had, I mean, you know, painted or, you know, mm-hmm. did crappy drywall repairs here and there. 
um, but no real experience. And mom, same thing. I mean, when she was a kid, they did a lot of the, like the chore, fixing stuff around the house, but neither of us really had any significant experience. So we, you know, for the bamboo floors we put in my first house, we read the directions and uh, on the flooring and on the non-pneumatic flooring <laughs> gun that I would never buy again and just figured out how to do stuff. I watched YouTube videos the first time I tiled. Oh, and man. other than buying matte and gloss tiles and mixing them into each other accidentally. Um, I did a really good job. So <laughs> I think it's just so a lot cool. of trial and error. I, I think it's so amazing that, you know, when, when you look at where you are now, you would think that you had this master plan and you had this, you know, dream to build everything that you've built. I mean, you've done what, more than a hundred homes in Indianapolis I just think it's so cool and inspiring for people who who don't have that exact vision and plan of what they want to do 10 years from now or five years from now. Well, so yeah. how with, with is it 100 homes? I was told that you had like 100 homes within yeah. like a two mile radius of where you live. Yeah, I mean, the majority of them are probably within a mile, but then wow. we've got a couple, you know, a couple outliers. So, and that's part of the business model that definitely, you know, partially was just inspired by the area and what we could afford at the time, but has was always a big um, selling, like important business part to mom, um, which I kind of took on after the first couple of years because you really can, like you can drive around the neighborhood and see a huge difference versus kind Mm -hmm. of jumping all over the place, um, which is actually probably a better business model. You can make more money. (laughs) And what difference have you seen? Of course, the aesthetic, but what differences have you noticed in, in your community? Uh, I mean, there's such a fine balance between residential and and commercial and like how much residential do you need to have developed to get commercial to come in and then but still have enough people to sustain that. And I think particularly in the areas we've worked, we've seen that kind of spread out. So when I first moved into, I actually lived next door to the house I am in and now in Mm -hmm. Fountain Square. Um, And when I moved in there, there was... Like a, there's one coffee shop and now we've got two coffee shops and a music venue and 10 restaurants and I mean, yoga studios and all kinds of stuff because there's enough people that, you know, had faith in the neighborhood coming up that they moved mm-hmm. in and then businesses saw that as well. And so we've been able to keep this really good balance. I have a really good relationship. I kind of know him from high school, but the president of our, uh, it's Visit Indie, which is like our convent they're they're in charge of bringing all the money into the state and mm-hmm. conventions competitions and he reached out to me uh it was probably two years ago now pre-covid but they do so many surveys and that like in our donut states asking people why they you know why their business would go to various locations for conventions and he was just really excited that it was something like nine out of ten people unprompted said We'd love to bring our convention to Indy because of all these reasons and also because Good Bones is there and that seems like a cool thing. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 cool for the state. I, I kind of picture like, I might be dating myself here, but do you remember the TV show Cheers? In uh-huh. Cheers, there was the guy, Norm, that was always sitting at the bar and they always made fun. Whenever he walked in, everyone, everyone was like, Norm! I picture yeah. when you walk down the street, everyone's like, Mina! Mina. <laughs> uh, but it is. Uh, it happens on occasion. Mina the mayor. We get a, yeah. we get a lot of a lot of drive-bys on the house. Because, I mean, we are right downtown. Indy's, 
it has a very large population, but it's like the biggest small town feel. Mm. So you could go anywhere downtown and be like, hey, do you know where that ginger from the TV show lives? And they'd be like, oh yeah, it's right down there. Take a left and a right. And yeah. So, uh, it, you but literally, it's, you know, it's Midwest. We're not like in LA or anything. So, no, that's amazing. You are the unofficial mayor, Mayor Mina. Mayor Mina. <laughs> I, I like it. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. Would you ever get into politics? I think I would piss too many people off. <laughs> I am I am actually currently in a six-month um, executive coaching program. She's It's pretty much like a business therapist because I suck at managing humans. Um, so I think I would not do well as a politician. Wait, you're working with somebody who's helping you communicate better with humans or you are um, like a, a mentor to somebody? No, no, no. no. Uh, they, that she is the mentor. She is my... She's my therapist on on the business front. This is so great. I'd love to talk more about this actually because people might look at you and say, you know, you're a huge success and they've already learned a whole bunch from what you already do. And yet here you are with this growth mindset to find ways to continue to improve yourself, which is inspiring for me, I'm sure for all of us. So can you share what prompted you to do this executive coaching program? I mean, it, it actually was a suggestion. My brother, the super smart older one, worked for Google and he you know, works for Verily and they do a lot of executive coaching and he worked with this gal and kind of shot her right away. And he's like, I think you might really benefit from this. So I talked to her, um, very expensive. Luckily she's interested in interior design. So she's even <laughs> kind of working out some trades. Um, but just kind of talked through all like where my business and company was, which is, it does, it looks like, you know, everything's great on TV, but, um, it's in a super transitional point. Construction and TV do not go together. They actually make each other's lives very hard. And, um, you know, I have a real business that once everyone's sick of watching me on the show, I want to make sure is still in a good place. Mm -hmm. And we've had so much transition internally in the company, um, which again, kind of goes back to the whole family dynamic. Uh, I think when you're like small and growing, you're like, okay, which friend can can get on on this train and like help me and mm. I can afford you because none of us really know what we're doing but we're all going to work really hard and um you know I had, my, I had my sister working for me my sister-in-law my brother Tad childhood friend Corey mm-hmm. um and my sister and sister-in-law my sister quit and my sister-in-law went on maternity leave and isn't going to come back and Luckily, I started this executive coaching about two weeks before all that happened, or I probably really would have been in a bad yeah. way because I was just like panicked that, you know, I relied on them for so much, which is also one of my challenges. I do not like to delegate. I'm a control freak. And, you know, when things like that happen, I'm like, see, this is why I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but, you know, they were, I didn't know how to run payroll um, mm. and, and just things like that. So um, needed to kind of stop and reflect and take a look at the business and, practices and, you know, what I was kind of letting other people control, um, versus not and, and reprioritize. Um, so the whole business is restructured. Uh, I hired a really, really, really awesome, uh, chief business operations officer. That's like 
a real one. He's not even in the state. He's no, he flies not a family in. member. <laughs> not a family member. You know, I, I used my first headhunter, which was also a tough pill to swallow because that's not cheap. Mm-hmm. But you get what you pay for. And he said, my specialty is when, you know, the business size that he specializes in is when you're growing and you have no friends or family left to hire. And I was like, yep, that's me. They're mm-hmm. all sick of me. So yeah, <laughs> let's get some other people um, in there. So the executive coaching has just been really cool because it, it really is like therapy. But you know, the first the first two things we did was this big 360 assessment where I kind of picked the 10 people I engage with most and you know went through 10 to 12 questions with my executive coach about what I wanted to know, like what feedback I wanted. And she was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna buffer. Some people I buffer the feedback for, but I feel like you can handle it. I'm just gonna lay it on how it is. So we did that and then do did an EQ, which is like your IQ, but for your emotional intelligence, mm. which was super interesting because it just helped me understand why I make some of the decisions the way I do and just helps me like stop and think things through a little more because I operate. My need for immediacy is not shared by most humans is what my team frequently tells me. So I want everything done very fast and executed the way I want it. And I don't really take into account enough the risk factors with quick decisions and learned a lot about myself on this, this EQ exam. The, the one most interesting part, I guess there's like, I think it's seven emotions and then everything else falls under that. Mm. So it's like fear, happiness, I, I don't remember. And then under fear, there's everything else you could think of related to fear. And this assessment pretty much spits out at a hundred percent, which of the seven you experience at what percentage level. And then it also ranks you amongst everyone else that's always all done it and then tells you where like the healthy range is. And for how often I experience fear, the majority of people were at 17%. The healthy range was 15 and my range is two. Mm. So my, you know, my lovely executive coach is like, now there's some good and some bad to this. <laughs> but because of all the transition and, you know, and how I was raised and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it helps me be very adaptive that I didn't have this like fear emotion very often. Yeah. But now as an adult, I still don't like connect with that emotion as much. So decisions that I should be thinking longer about or looking at the negative consequences more, I, I don't have that like natural trigger in my brain. So, so it's been really helpful to, to hmm. slow down. I'm so interested. And in yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Well, a question with that then, um, if you don't, feel fear the way that a lot of other people would with decisions they're making. How about when you're working with somebody who does have that fear factor? How does that, yeah. how do you um, communicate with, with people? Cause I, I would think that maybe it would, it would almost scare them to get into business with you or do something in the sense that they want to take their time and think through some things. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it, it's definitely challenging and that's why gaining the self-awareness has been helpful because that was one of the things that was a big problem for my sister when she worked for me because she is very by the book. These are the steps. These are the rules. This is the data. I'm giving you the data and you're doing something different. And that makes like part of her brain and heart explode and die. <laughs> you know, there's some balance between, okay, yeah, the data is saying maybe I, I shouldn't buy this property, but because it's real estate and some of it's gut instinct and this neighborhood's transitioning by the time we buy it and renovate it. 10 months down the road, like we're going to be a good position. So there's thought process behind it. But again, that thought process happens so quick that I can't expect For you. her or, you know, or anyone else to like, mm. to be there with me. So I think that 
has definitely created some big challenges in within the company. Hence the executive coaching program. Mm-hmm. I'm working yeah. on that. Yeah. It is. It's, it's tough for people. My nickname is Little T, which stands for Little Tornado. Because uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how they view me. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't stir things up if they were the way they were supposed to be, guys. Hey. Also, don't appreciate <laughs> What I love about all of what you're saying is that you are so open about sharing the process and you see that in in everything, in all of your interviews, your social media, I mean, I don't know if I would be comfortable sharing, like I'm doing this executive coaching thing because I would feel vulnerable. Like, oh, I don't, not embarrassed that I'm taking it, but like, I don't know enough yet to share it. But I think it's amazing that you're sharing the journey because- that's where the learning happens. That inspires a lot of people. Well, too. and the reason I can do it is because that fear is only at two percent. <laughs> so ah. until I stumble upon something that I'm like, oh shoot, I shouldn't have gone down this road. It's too late, and I'm down it. Which is kind of what happened with the IVF because it was all out there, and it wasn't till I was really, really in deep that I had a moment where I was like, I maybe sh- should have thought this through a little bit more. So, Wait, so um, sorry to interrupt. Like thought this thought the IVF process through or the sharing of it with the world? Because I was going to ask you, did you plan on sharing that? But now that you're talking about your 2% fear ratio or whatever it's called, now I'm kind of understanding why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I didn't think about it. It's just my, my natural inclination is, I mean, I waxed my armpits on Instagram, which was upsetting to like three women very much. They messaged me a lot. Um, (laughs) But when I started doing the IVF, it was just incredible the amount of messages I got that were that it was like just me doing what I would normally do was really helpful. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, yeah, of course, like that's the least I could do. Um, but I when we finally got pregnant and we're going, I was like, I'm pregnant, great. Um, it didn't even cross my mind until my husband and I were on the way to the eight-week appointment to check for the heartbeat that it's very possible, like over 20% likelihood that there isn't one. Mm -hmm. And the whole production team was going to be there as well. They filmed it all real time. And like my hands just started sweating and Steve's like, what's wrong? And I was like, it just clicked in my brain that like, that we could not be pregnant anymore and Mm -hmm. me not know it and it be live on camera. And apparently my, you know, my doctor was kind of having the same thought process and he pulled us into his office as soon as we got there and said, you know, this could go one of two ways. I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, I do. Um, so he wanted to do a really quick ultrasound first mm. to see. So then I could decide if I wanted to film it or not. And Steve and I talked about it. And then I was like, there's n- no, I mean, we just have to do it because mm. the thing is, if we do the ultrasound and it says, it says I'm pregnant, then I'm going to have to fake being excited again when we film it. And if we do the ultrasound and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't fake yeah. filming or just done. Mm-hmm. And I like kind of think what you were saying and that everyone makes it seem easy. Like, oh, uh, I can't have kids. And then magically next month, you see like a baby on their hip or they give birth and mm-hmm. they're on a beach shot a year from then, like looking incredible. It's like, no, I did IVF and it was really hard. And I look like that because I got a tummy tuck. And, you know, my business is crazy like everyone else's. It just, it feels more fair because we kind of live in this like idealized world that just it's not. It's not awesome a lot of the time. So the thing that is really inspiring for a lot of people, the way you post everything on social media and you share, like you're posting, sharing your mommy makeover, you're saying, 
And uh, I think that the thing is, it is making everyone else realize it's okay to share what real life is. I really, yeah. both Linda and I do not like when everything is just posted as one fluffy, happy, fun, perfect life. Perfectly lit, yes. No, nobody <laughs> has that perfectly lit life all the time. And but that's the easy thing to share. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. So it I understand when yeah. people can't, like I personally have trouble sharing very personal things, but like yeah. it, it is the easier thing to share your highlights, of course, right? Yeah. Um, because it, it takes more time and it, it involves more emotion and it involves dialogue after, which is the hardest thing. It's like, if you share yeah. one thing, you're opening up the can to share everything else that comes with it. Yeah. And so when you were posting, um, what were some of the, the reactions that you had or people who DM'd you or messaged you about their story? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was thousands upon thousands of people either saying, like, I'm going through this kind of like lockstep with you. I'm in the same phase or I struggled with this for five years, seven years, 10 years. Like I went through a round. I can't imagine how challenging it would be for people going through it longer. Or a lot of people saying, you know, I really appreciate you sharing this. Like I had a good friend or my sister go through this and I didn't realize because she didn't really talk about it, which I like kind of hit home too because one of my really good friends went through, um, their little girl is six months younger than Jack, but they struggled for years. And it's kind of one of those things where you can... You can empathize and be like, oh, I'm sorry, you're still not pregnant. But that's like the dumbest thing to say. Like, you don't know what to say. Yeah. So it, it seems like it was helpful. I didn't know what to say for people to kind of be able to see, hear the experience firsthand, even if they weren't going through it themselves. Mm-hmm. Did you find that there were a lot of people who were messaging you as well saying that it was actually, you know, to see a woman who's a strong woman, who's a born leader, you, you have so much on the go that you're doing and you're still... You, you're you are having those struggles with getting pregnant and having and having your family, yet you still take the time for both sides of things. I think to me it would look like it would be a great inspiration for people to see that you aren't giving up your career and your passion on that side mm-hmm. of your life to be a mother. You can still juggle both. Yeah, um, and I think that's uh, that's something that uh, that I can show really well. And I think there's lots of people that do it so many other ways, like my sister-in-law that had her first baby, she was never the type that was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to work after kids. And life changes like that change you. And she may, you know, she still might come back to work. But, you know, doing it the way I did is one way. Mm-hmm. And there's 5 million other ways yeah. um, that all are fine and, 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 all, and all work. Yeah. Well, I mean, and let's be clear, she'll only come back to work if you have done your executive coaching and you work with her in a different way. That's, you know. (laughs) Yes, precisely. I think, I mean, it reminds me of the kids book that you wrote because a family can look like so many different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It can, it can involve so many different people at different capacities. And yeah, I just, I just think it's very beautiful that it's all encapsulated into this lovely story built together. And what was your, what was your primary goal for this book? I mean, you guys have little ones around you, so I'm sure you've read a million of kids' books, some better than others. Um, and I feel like they always latch onto the ones that I hate reading. At least Jack does. But so, like reading some of these books, or even you know. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which is great. Like it's teaches them things, but Mickey Mouse is blue and Minnie Mouse is pink Mm -hmm. and just all these very clear stereotypes that 
are getting woven into their little sponge brains without anyone even really noticing from such a young age that I just wanted to give a slightly different message. Like they're going to look at it because there's fun colors and there's tools, but maybe kind of what gets into their brain is more this idea of like love and acceptance. And it's all very cheesy, but like, you know, build your family however you want, whatever it looks like, whether it's, you know, with friends or the neighbors across the street or, you know, your pets. And ideally that will go somewhere in their brains. And we're going to raise this generation of wildly more enlightened humans than we have now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So tell me this though, with your career and what you've done, you know, the shows and building your company, I know you also um, have a charitable component too within your community. Uh, You started a nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm probably kind of relating back to um, when you asked uh, like the impact everything's we're having on the neighborhood. I'm sure you've had conversations about it, but gentrification does so many great things, but also a lot of, you know, not so great things for people in the neighborhood on, you know, fixed incomes like social security, things like that, because they just don't have the ability to flux their taxes as their property value raises. Um, so I, I can't control, you know, that kind of litigation or not litigation, but, um, uh, yeah. like legislation, oh, legislation yeah. Yeah. that's the words I was mm-hmm. looking for. Um, but so we kind of just created our 501c3, which is two chicks give back to do what we can for the people in the neighborhood. So if you live in one of the neighborhoods we work in, we just are like getting our board together, which is some really awesome people in Indy that'll set up like the actual application process. But the idea is, you know, you live in our neighborhoods, you're, you know, up to date on your taxes and you don't have any like code violations on your house, but uh, it's an older couple and they can't afford to fix their fence and their dog keeps escaping. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they can apply for money from the nonprofit for that or, Mm. um, you know, they're, grandkids or great grandkids live with them and they need money for school books, really anything that serves the needs of people in the neighborhoods that we renovate the houses. I love this. I mean, how you're using your platform and experience to help your community in the way they need the help. Even small things can help families in tremendous ways. Okay. Before we get to our speed round, we have one last question. Of all the things you have done, what is your proudest moment? When I paid off my first mortgage. That was very, that was... I feel like I, you know, I bought a house at a really young age, so I was excited about that. And then, yeah, debt payoff. It's very sexy and exciting for me. Hey, we're That's with you. It's a huge deal. I think that is a huge thing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. You like a fast pace, and we have what we call our speed round. Are you okay. ready? All right. I'm ready. What meal makes you feel at home, and who cooked it? I mean, probably one of our family thinks is pierogies because we're Polish. So we always have those on Easter. Nice. Those yeah. are very homey. I love pierogies. love them. What smell reminds you of home? I mean, I don't think it's... It, maybe like pine needles. My dad always has like a massive real Christmas tree. Mm. So yeah, probably that. Did you ask that or did yeah, I? I, that. I blanked out. Or I was, I was thinking about <laughs> Christmas and pine. What's, yeah. your, what's your perfect Sunday morning at home? Oh, my husband would want me to say something like super sweet about the kids and spending time together. But honestly, it's probably like getting to sleep in a little bit, waking up, like we've got a really yummy breakfast place, leisurely walk down the street, have a mimosa, have some like adult time, and then and then the kids. What HGTV hosts feel like family to you? Oh wow. Allison. Yeah, I feel like we've kind of always just connected. But honestly, like everyone that was at Brady with us. 
I still talk to regularly, like you and your brother and Leanne and I text and Jasmine and I text. So Allison probably just knows like maybe not the most about me after this conversation, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'll share it with her. (laughs) Yeah. Name three things on your bedside table. A baby monitor, always ice water and my Yeti and uh, my phone charger, chapstick. Yes. yes, I cannot live without my chapstick. And wet wipes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us. This is It's always fun to catch up. And hopefully the next time we do this, it'll be in person. This is why I love Mina. She's not just posting the pretty pictures on social media and whatnot. She's sharing the real her, which is really inspiring. Gosh, she's such a rock star. She is. I just love how she's able to openly talk about her journey because it does it does help people. And she's helped us personally. Like whenever we've had any fertility questions in the past, she's just mm-hmm. so open about it and we appreciate her. And let me just define something. When people think they just want to post the perfect pictures or the pretty pictures, I personally think the pretty stuff, the beautiful stuff is the real stuff. It's actually the stuff like what Mina shares. So thank you, Mina. Or the real stuff is the pretty stuff, you mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not just the polished photos or um, when you're hiding things that are real life to you. I like to see that realness of people. And a huge thank you to our homies, Brandon Angelino, Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, Wes Friend, Chris Cobain, Jessica Bryant-Harvey, and Nicole Schachter. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Always rate us. We love you rating and commenting. Yeah, we actually like your feedback. And to you, thank you. Thank you, love you. Love you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.